Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Welcome back, everybody, to the Sell Better Daily Show, where we bring you daily sales advice to help you sell better. Plain, simple, easy. It's not complicated. Let us know what your role is as you come into the room. That's what we're doing right now. We're going to open up Q&A, so make sure that you throw all your questions in the Q&A as we move forward. And let me introduce you to these two titans in the room. We are here to talk about email follow-ups and the follow-up game after a demo. Uh, so we've had a lot of great conversations and I think that these two gentlemen are probably the two people that are going to give us a lot of insights into what's working for them. Connor Klein of Attention, welcome to the show, my man. And Alex Nelson, it's great to have you guys right here on Sell Better. Thanks for giving us your time today. Thank really you. happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Yeah, love to be here. Great stuff. All right, before we dive in, you guys know the drill. Go check out our new website, sellbetter.xyz, where you can find all of our resources. Be sure you click on the free snacks up there at the top. You can get all kinds of free resources there. And our YouTube channel is always available to you where you can get the highlights. Go find, win. That is the name of the game. Shout out to Attention for coming in and sponsoring this episode. We appreciate attention.tech. Go learn more about what attention can do. It's really changing the game for the way that salespeople spend their time. Shout out to Vidyard, our longtime partner. Uh, and I am very excited to bring you the latest and greatest, the brightest in the sky at Sell Better right now. Jason Bay has put together one of the best objection handling courses in the game that I have seen in a long time good, solid frameworks that you can deliver over and over when you get objections. We are dropping it in the chat for you. It's a free resource, y'all. Go get this course and change the way you handle objections. It'll be the best 20 minutes of your life that you ever spend. I guarantee it. Let me tell you a little bit about what you're going to get today. Post-demo follow-ups techniques. These guys, they follow up. That's why they win deals. So learn from them. How do they keep the momentum going? That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to show you some real examples from three different examples from three different sellers. And we're going to show you how to establish momentum. That is the name of the game here. So let's keep it going right here and start off with Alex. Alex, you had a rule of three that you wanted everyone to focus on as they moved through. And I'm going to show everybody who's in the room. No surprises here. Lots of AEs. This one is especially for you, AEs. Talk about your rule of three. Yeah, so um, when I was when I think about following up post demo, I'm really thinking how can I establish momentum. So I'm asking myself these three questions. Essentially, what is going to resonate with anyone not in the room? Um, obviously, you know you have to guide and strengthen your champion throughout the course of the sales cycle. That's at sometimes the only point of resources or contacts are through that individual. Um, so. Oftentimes, I'll often hear questions being asked for other people, and I mm. want to send over a follow-up email that essentially includes something that will resonate with somebody who's who has other skin in the game potentially, but isn't physically there. Uh, the other one, the other two, what did they react to? So if you see any like strong reactions, potentially that's cool. It can be a reaction, but in general, you want to see what they're emotionally responding to, what looks like you're gaining the biggest reaction out of them and yeah. what reaction was. And if that component of the of of the demo is worth sharing afterwards, I do think that that's a really important question to ask yourself. And also the key one, um, I would say the most critical and the one that I'm asking myself first is what did they ask me about? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes there's a hidden gem underneath that question what's the why behind the questions that they're asking me? 
So essentially, I would try to tailor material based on those three questions. And usually that could help build momentum throughout that initial afterwards phase where things, you know, things are still settling in. I like this rule of three. I think people remember rules of three pretty often. It's a common thing to see in this space. So I appreciate the rule of three. Uh, I want to look at an example, and I kind of want you to break this down for everybody. Uh, And this is a great example because, and let me just clear this up right now before we see a lot of comments in the chat. After a demo, I think the, the brevity is something you can shoot for, but sometimes there's a lot of information that you can pack into a follow-up. So this stuff is all tailored to the way that the demo goes. And we'll talk about how it ended later on in the show. But Alex, break this one down for everybody. What, what prompted you to send this after this demo? Yeah, so essentially, I think it's always important to uh, start with the small. Thank you. Thank them for their time. It was a pleasure. Try to build that connection and relationship so that there's somebody that they will be open and comfortable talking to in the future. Yeah. Um, I also always like to drop my cell phone number. Um, just to make things a little bit more personal, I do when when I'm on texting terms with my prospects, things tend to be going well, so I like to offer that as an option. Um, oftentimes, oh, I'll, I gotta ask. Let's ask the crowd: Yes or no? Do you offer up your cell phone number freely? Yes or no? In the chat, let us know. Go ahead, Alex. But um, yeah. So oftentimes, if I get a text from my prospect, usually that's a good sign. Um, so oftentimes, instead of saying please don't hesitate to reach out. I'll even say, please feel free to give me a text or call if there's ever any questions. Or yeah. when you're talking to X stakeholder, um, if if there's any questions that they have, please feel free to shoot them my way. Anyway. I love it. Yeah, so just to continue on what's what you're looking at. Um, so this is essentially the components of that demo specifically that they said will be more impo- most important to their future state, whether or not they're going to do business with us. So essentially, I included an overview of our full solution set. I'm selling a solution these days that is very, it's very extensive. There's seven different modules within the solution. And oftentimes, I will demo one specific of those modules. And often they will ask me, what else does the platform do? This is, I believe, a good use of getting that question answered, because oftentimes you'll bore them if you dive too closely into things that aren't hitting home for them. Um, we talked a lot about uh, the my company's diversity-centered uh, uh, solution set. So I included that material. I remember them reacting to one key component that was talking about tier one and two spend from suppliers. It sounds a little complex, which it is. But in general, these were the things that were really getting reactions out of them. It was, it was what I felt that this could be the best point of reference that they could use for the next week or two until we talk again. Yeah. And oftentimes I'll have a have that question that CTA is there anything else that I can share? And that's sort of an ask that I like to use because essentially it makes them feel a little bit more comfortable to ask questions which I love. Um I anything I could do to make them more comfortable reaching out to me rather than internally to get their questions answered about my product is always really, really good step. And also, um, essentially, when they come to me with that question, oftentimes I can go with, I can ask them for another ask, essentially, whether it's the stakeholder that hasn't been in the room, whether I can have a conversation with them, 
or just the next step in the sales cycle. Whatever it is, I'm looking forward to that next step. And that's a good way to open the doors when they have those questions. Yeah, I did. I did notice, and Connor, you probably noticed too. It's a different. It's a different sign off. I'm looking for anything these days other than sincerely regards best. <laughs> like I just anything other than that is fine for me. And I like that you confirm that next piece, Connor. You said, <laughs> excuse me. Out of all of the keys to great follow up practices, there are two that you think are worth mentioning that are a little bit outside of the box. And I, I think they're out of the box because oftentimes we get stuck in template mode. And I also think that we need to restate the purpose and the value. So talk to me about your two keys. Why'd you choose these? Yeah. I mean, what I really wanted to do here was simplify it, right? I think a lot of times a rep will join a new company and they automatically have like a, a post demo or disco template that they're supposed to use, right? And that might've been created years back where it's like, hey, we're going to structure it this exact way. Yeah. Happens is you start to lose some of the humanity in it, right? And so um, my recommendation here is like humanize yourself in the first couple sentences, right? Like, you know, of course, thank them for their time, do what you have to do there. But recall something from the call that might have not had to do directly with business, right? Like talk about something that's important to them and mm. kind of leave a lasting effect. The way that I like to think about it is like, look, if you had a really great date with someone, right? The first thing that you're going to do when you leave the date is not text them an exact like templated thanks for the date today like right that you people can tell when it's pretty can thank you for your time yeah right like you want to make sure that they feel heard and they feel seen and that's a huge part of the sales process so that was the first point that i wanted to make sure we nailed down um, to really help you stand out from competitors the second point that was listed up there uh, was reframing their pain points right what i mean by this is when you're having these discovery conversations with people, sometimes their pain might not match up directly with what you're trying to sell or convey to them, right? What you're able to do here is take an example, let's say like, you know, forecasting was really tough last quarter for us. So for me at, at attention, what I can do is say, hey, you know, it sounds like, you know, one of the problems that you had last month was uh, bad CRM hygiene and it didn't give you the ability to forecast correct. Is that the case, right? And being able to kind of reframe those pain points allows you to one, shed new light on something that they might not have thought about, but also help you figure out how to sell and position yourself a little bit better there too. Um, only thing to be careful of is try not to oversimplify their pain points too much or change it because uh, the last thing that you want is them to come back to you and be like, actually, that's not what I said. Right? You want to make sure that you're, you're playing within the bounds of everything that was said in the call. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about what they said as we move into these other techniques that we're going to bring to the table for everyone in the audience. Be sure that you get your questions for these two guys in the Q&A. We're going to leave some time at the end. So if you have questions, throw them in the Q&A. You can upvote the ones that work best for you. Connor, you brought an example. And when I saw this, I was like, wow, this looks a little long, but there's a reason why this is long. Again, guys, these are post-demo right? You've gathered so much information. It's important you articulate as much as possible so that you can give the best possible follow-up process for your prospect. Connor, break this email down. Why does it feel long, but it's not really? Yeah. I mean, before I even get there, I'm going to give myself a pretty fun, shameless plug here. I actually generated this email with one click utilizing attention. Um, I, I chose that little template up there, click generate, and then it crafted this for me. Um, so I'm happy to explain what that means to people if they want to like connect with me. Up. But it listens to the call too. Let's, it does, it does listen and then create this based on the call. Based on everything that's said in the call. Um, and so I've created this kind of 
prompt template to build items that look exactly like this for the most part, um, standardized across every other call that I have. But just to break it down a little bit, um, that very first section, of course, like pleasure meeting you today, um, I speak a little bit about something that was important to them, right? Which was the fact that they kind of thought AEs these days are getting boxed in and having to you know, completely standardize their sales process and they didn't really have the flexibility to be their own person. Um, after I, I mentioned that, right, I, I really do go into a kind of a brief summary of two different pain points that they had. And this is where you can kind of see an example of me reframing those pain points and then immediately being, being able to solve them. Um, beyond that here, a little bit lower, uh, I, I did pull a snippet out of a very positive moment. Uh, and this kind of sheds light on, on multi-threading here in a bit, but I actually say like, hey, this is cool for you to rewatch, but also to show blank and blank um, ahead of our scheduled meeting next week. Uh, and I kind of give them a, a generalized uh, idea of what the snippet is. It's a really positive point from the call where you know they almost fall out of their chair when their CRM is automatically updated for them. Um, more towards the bottom, right? Like we'll talk about Slack and in, in that in a moment here, but um, I, I really try to humanize a bit here as well. Like you know, excited about Saster. We we spoke about. Uh, some potential like after parties and events going on around it. So I wanted to make sure that I ended here. Uh, and then, yeah, that's kind of top to bottom what um, what attention is able to generate for me. I think this is great. It's a little bit like having that assistant that's taking notes the entire time on the call and then dropping those notes into some outline and handing it to you just before you send this follow-up email, right? That's how it feels for me. Uh, I've never had an assistant like that. But I'm about to, and I'm just going to be, I'm going to name her attention. <laughs> I want to give this example. This is probably one of my favorite examples. Shout out to Kelly Driscoll. He is our sponsorship director, and we had a great call with a prospective sponsor, somebody that's going to sponsor the show. And right when that call ended, I, I saw this email. Now, there's an attachment here that he attached, which was an SOW, a statement of work. And just look at the brevity here. I think this is probably one of the best follow-up emails I've seen because of how short it is. But also look at the CTA. We talked about CTAs. This is a request for feedback, not more time, not any additional action that they have to take, just your feedback, whether they whether they in, you know have changes they'd like to make to it. Uh, and obviously the context is there for the call. This is a personalized follow-up uh, that he wrote. And shout out to Kelly for a great email. I couldn't resist sharing that. Uh, all right, let's talk about other things. Uh, let me know right here if you guys send a summary email after every demo, after every demo. And I suppose one would say like uh, Disco and Qual Call too. I think SDRs sometimes will send follow-up emails after a Disco or Qual Call. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the summary email. Uh, Alex, you said that... Uh, you go through some pretty interesting pieces of uh, this follow-up process after a demo. You talked about text. There was a time this was overstepping. Yeah. Tell me about tell me about a text a text or a situation that you might get into. Yeah. So oftentimes, um, rather than I, I, I like to open as many channels as possible, or until at least until I get the channel that is most effective for getting a quick response um, and an easiest response out of my prospect. Oftentimes, um, people will be rather less communicative over email or things of that nature. So one thing that I, I think I mentioned earlier on this call, but 
if you could open the chain of communication through text with your prospects, it's a lot more personable. I find that people who people find texting in general like something that they relate they uh tie to more fond memories um than things like email and perhaps even like linkedin messaging i think that by starting that text you're essentially saying like this we're a we now we're comfortable enough with each other to be on texting terms and oftentimes it's the easiest way to like for a prospect to respond to you i've i've had sales in the past where essentially people have wanted to buy um and and i just haven't gotten responses from them and they've just been you know slacking on res- on giving me a response via email so i would say that just opening a text chain also a post demo call asking for feedback can also be really really key in uh uncovering the either red flags or green lights in terms of what's going to push the deal forward and what you need to address to get to that point. Both both valuable, right? Green lights and red lights. you got to see them all. Uh, Connor, you mentioned earlier that you will open a Slack channel. Do you do this right after a demo? Do you ask during the demo if they're on Slack and want to join this channel? How do you, how does this keep your momentum going typically? Yeah. So I'll usually bring this up uh, towards the tail end of a call especially if it went very well, right? Uh, yeah. well, I'm sure you're building rapport and, and having a good relationship with the person you're speaking with. But um, if they seem like uh, they're they're tracking and then the value's there for both parties and it, it seems to make sense, I'll usually ask like, hey, are you guys on Slack, right? And for the most part, people usually say yes, right? Because a lot of people are utilizing Slack these days. Um, and if the answer is yes, I'll ask if they want to you know, jump into a Slack Connect channel together. Uh, I find that it's super, super helpful because it's such a low barrier to entry for communication. And what I also find is like, I'm not often ignoring slacks uh, unless it's from my counterpart, Jacob here, who I think is watching right now, but just kidding. But basically like when you see a slack, no one's sitting there like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I can get to this later, right? Slack is slack. It's it's pretty immediate. Um, And if you can start getting on a a conversational chain with them there, uh, I think you're going to have huge return in the way of, uh, you know, making sure that you're not losing them down the line. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a Slack person, and when I see the notification, something happens in me where like I have to look at it. I have, and then you know, if you look at it, it's like red. You know, somebody, somebody to see that you saw it, right? So you have to respond. I think, I, yeah, just as I thought. Look at that. Sixty-seven uh, percent of our voters say that they send a summary email after every single one. Um, if you would sell better, drop the uh, summary email from John. In there, I know we have a summary email. I think it's uh, a favorite nugget in there. This is a, a walkthrough of John Barrow's personal summary email. So go grab that uh, and check out how John does it. Connor, you said that you have a series of things that you go through uh, when you're writing a summary email. And I think that summaries are something we should focus on because it's part and parcel to the follow-up process. Uh, break this down for everybody. Yeah, so you want to hit the big points here, right? Um, for the most part, it's pain and salt. And then... Um, beyond that, when it comes to either like bullets or no bullets, I I do like bullets myself. Um, a white space in an email is obviously very important, right? You don't want to be just loading huge blocks of text all yeah. over the place. I know the example that I shared with you is a little bit kind of condensed, so it might have looked like there's a lot, but inside of like a Gmail or an Outlook, uh, you know, text box, pretty spread out there. So mm-hmm. I like making sure that it's it's very easy for people to see exactly what I'm trying to convey to them. Um, and then, yeah, beyond that, like I know Alex is probably going to want to talk about this in a minute too, but like one of the most important parts is just using the voice of your prospect, 
Yeah. And and being able to kind of regurgitate items that they said were most important to them or even items that you can kind of refer here. But uh, Alex, I'd love to kick it to you and kind of hear your perspective there as well. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I always find myself mirroring things that my prospect had said on the demo call itself, um, nurring their language. I find that, you know, you want to give the impression that we are solving this problem together and you don't want um, essentially to follow up because it's something that you think you have to do. Um, it's an arbitrary task. Your manager tells you to do it. You want to give them value and you want them to become a we. Uh, so I think that essentially when it comes to a summary email, one, like language is very, very important, but two, you want to demonstrate like I heard you. It wasn't just a meeting of me trying to walk through all the nuances of my solution. It is, we had a conversation about a business problem, a use case, and how what I'm selling can be a solution to you in the future. I want you to know that I heard you and I want you to be equipped with the information that I know so that you're inclined to solve this problem with me rather than some sales guy from a competitor. Um, so yeah, no, I, I feel like I venture away from that point specifically, but um, yeah, I hope that was an okay answer. No, it is. Uh, and it, you know, it makes a lot of sense. You also mentioned that you recently changed personas. You were selling to revenue leaders and now you're selling to procurement leaders. You mentioned that you've been getting asked for recordings far more often. Uh, that that's pretty, that's pretty gutsy of our prospects, right? Can I have this recording? Like, uh, I don't know. I, I might, if I say some stuff, that's <laughs> what, like, I don't know. I don't know if that, like, how have you been dealing with that? And let me know in the chat, uh, one, if it's a yes, two, if it's a no, do your prospects ask you for the recording of your sales calls? Let me know in the chat. Yeah. I think that, uh, the transition, like the biggest difference is procurement leaders definitely hold their cards closer to their best when it comes to their pains and current problems in their current process. Um, they don't want me to know. They're not I, I, as comfortable giving me that information because they essentially are trained on knowing what to, um, how to, like what I'm going to do later on. And in general, like I'll often share the recording uh, just because I don't, you know, see a reason not to. But that said, um, when it comes to just the personas themselves, I, I still want them to be equipped with all the information that I think would be most relevant to them. And having uncovered pains in their current process, I want to be able to have them connect those dots internally if they are my champion. Good answer. Uh, I see there's a mixed bag in here. A lot of yeses, a lot of noes. Some people are saying, I all, like, ultimately, I'll offer the recording. My thing is, with all the AI and the deep fakes out there, I'm like so like paranoid that somebody's going to create some crazy thing with me saying some wild stuff and i don't want that that's wild like i can't have that so i'll get a little nervous about it but that's just me uh okay uh all right uh, connor i want to tell i want to talk to you about this low barrier of entry and these lightning fast calls to action which means we have to move to calls to action but before i do i'll launch this question here because we're going to talk about it in a minute i'll leave this one up for a second because there's a few more options uh that <laughs> This is this is a good. I think this is a good one because a lot of people are going to be like, eh, I don't know which one to pick here. Uh, so let's talk a little bit. Uh, we'll we'll pass it to you in a minute, Connor. Alex, you said the way the demo ends matters when it comes to the the follow up process. What do you mean by this? Some people just 
have a standard process. How the demo ends is irrelevant. Why does it matter the way it ends? Yeah, so I mean, I, as like the main purpose of the demo, I'm trying to gather as much information as possible that can help me solve their problems later on. So at the end of the demo, essentially, I want to know what steps they're going to be taking in the coming days, weeks, whatever it is, to essentially solve their problem and help things moving forward. So what I would say is um, I'm always gathering info and I'm always trying to jot down what's important to them. And I think that it's very important to establish a give and take relationship. I feel like oftentimes when people think about follow-ups and salespeople do follow-ups, it's often like they're saying to their prospect, I want you to think about me. Why aren't you thinking about me right now? Yeah. Instead of that, you want to essentially be able to offload value at the right times and at the critical moments during their evaluation. And you want to keep track of what needs to happen on their end when you aren't available or when you're not physically in the room because it's an internal evaluation. Yeah. So essentially, I think that it's important to essentially, one, um, always you know, focus on that next move. It's not right after a demo, there's a lot of different things that needs to happen, at least in my current selling environment before the deal is closed. There needs to be a financial review, a legal review. I consider the demo a technical review and there's often many technical reviews. So I'll often say, essentially, like it says there, here's what I think will be most relevant until we speak again. Um, once we have the next steps set, um, oftentimes I'll just essentially, I don't know, I'm, I'm losing my point, but um, yeah, Connor, do you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with just about everything you said there. I think like to kind of bleed into number three here too, what's also really important to me um, is creating a really low barrier to entry for that very first call to action, right? And we already talked about Slack. We talked about texting as well. I think they're both very great mediums for achieving this. What I mean here is um, don't make the next step just be like the meeting that's going to happen eight days from now, right? You want to make sure that there's going to be some sort of, as you kind of mentioned, there's like a give and take relationship. You want to make that very evident right out of the gate as soon as the call ends. So whether that's like sending over um, the answer to a question immediately via Slack or text that they had asked, right? I think that's really important. Um, but what we're really trying to get to here is avoiding that like elation that you get when someone finally responds back to your email. And it's been like two weeks. You're like, oh my gosh, like it's so good to hear from Dan, right? Like, of course it feels good, but like that shouldn't be what sales is. What we really want here is to be completely desensitized to that, almost to the point where you're like, of course they responded back. I just asked them a question, right? And so you can achieve that kind of momentum through like very minimal, low barrier calls to action. If that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Alice, but that's that I, I leverage a lot. I, I, I like this part of it because momentum is everything afterwards. And when you have that lightning fast CTA, it feels like a complete motion for our prospect, right? Uh, I, I don't know if you guys watch the Big Bang Theory. If you watch the Big Bang Theory, uh, let me know in the chat. Yes, uh, I, there's a, a moment there where Sheldon has a problem with closure. <laughs> I think this is very human. When we send a good follow-up email after a demo, our prospect gets a sense of closure, right? That is an important piece for them to feel comfortable. Uh, I want to look and I want to talk about some examples 
Oh, uh, here we go. Speaking of examples, Richmond Taylor in the Q&A. Thank you so much. Uh, so, Connor, can you provide an example or talk about an example of a low barrier CTA? What's an example? Yeah. So one that I even use like specifically for um, that email example that I shot over to you before that we took a look at um, was just like talking about like a disaster after party, right? Like it was, it probably took up one minute and 30 seconds of our call time during our demo, pretty insignificant, but it brought us to a human level. And it was also something that we were both very excited about. And yeah. my ask was like, Hey, by the way, I completely forgot, like what bar were you planning on going to via Slack? Right. And that's an immediate, like, Oh, we're going to bar X, right? And that you can start that conversation right out of the gate. And even something like that, that has nothing to do with the the demo itself or the value that you're providing, um, the, the closer you can get, and Alex mentioned this before, to becoming a we here and, and having those like lightning fast responses as opposed to, you know, side A versus side B, I and mean, that's where you're really cool. That's a good answer there. Uh, all right. We appreciate that. Thank you for that question. I want to talk about closing language. Check out these results right here. Look at what people think. 30% of our voters think that the point of a demo is to find the pain points of my prospect. 44% say some of these, but not all of them. I had to throw that one in there just for fun. There was another option here that said, James, there's way too many choices here, but uh, Maria left that out. Shout out, shout out Maria for editing that. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Let's talk about closing language. This is language that needs to be in that follow-up process. And I am a huge proponent and a big fan of the gap selling method. Uh, Alex, you said that you're a fan of this too. Shout out to Keenan, the gap selling method. Uh, and my friend, Rachel May, if you guys don't know those two, uh, go follow them, go connect with them right now on LinkedIn. Uh, Alex, tell me why this works for you. How do you use this? Yeah. So I think that first off, just Keenan gap selling in general, that's if there's any ideology that I believe in in sales more than anything else. It's that, um, yeah. it, his book. And in general, like I think it's important to, when focusing on the language uh, post demo, you know, the demo is the time where you get to spend um, 30, 60 minutes with your prospect one on one talking to them. That's not always going to be the case. So I think that it's important to, one, like notice what stage in the process is most important to cover. Um, at that current time. So during the prospecting phase, often it makes the most sense to focus on the current state. I find that during the demo, you could gather information that tells you one, how to ask identity-based questions so, and, and frame things in their ways that they're going to understand and resonate with emotionally. And two, outline the future state and what it's going to look like after you, like after, you know, the onboarding process, after yeah. you sign the contract, make it very, very clear what that play, uh, what that is going to look like in their experience. So yeah. they can imagine themselves walking in that, walking down that path and going through the ins and outs of, you know, essentially starting business with you and signing the contract. So, um, oftentimes, you know, I will personally, like I have an eight, I sell product with an eight week onboarding process. I'll essentially use that to try to build urgency and essentially say, you know, if, you know, is it okay if you go 30 more days without solving blank problem? Because oftentimes our onboarding process takes this long to set up. Would it make sense to essentially get this up and running by X date that you mentioned to me earlier? Or is this something you're okay with putting off for another 90 days? 
Um, but that said, I feel like I'm sort of rambling a bit. No, this is a great way to set the expectation. That's how I feel as the prospect hearing that. You're setting the expectation of and and they're they're able to work with you to set their expectation. If I'm willing to put it off 30 days, my chances of closing that deal go down because it's not that big of a priority. They're not losing enough. I'm not twisting the knife. We had a guest once say, oh, you had to twist the knife, right? Uh, they have to feel that pain. I'm curious, before we talk about mirroring a lot of their own language here, uh, what language, and just drop it in the Q&A for us so that these guys can give you some feedback. What language works for you to close your deals? How do you get them thinking about that future state, their current state? What's a, a, a good thing that you do in your follow-up process? Put it in the Q&A. Our guys here will give you some feedback at the end. What's the language that you use? Uh, okay, so mirroring their own language. What does this mean? Is this like uh, mimicking? Is it, I feel like this might be frustrating if somebody kept throwing my own language back at me. Connor, how do we use this in a good way, not a bad way? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think like three and four are very similar, right? In the way of mirroring the language versus utilizing direct quotes in these messages. Um, I think what it really boils down to is it, it makes people feel heard, right? And it, it's not just the that they're part of a standardized sales process anymore and you're just putting them through the meat grinder that you put everybody else through. Um, it's important, you know, and I had an opportunity to speak with somebody the other day who used the phrase um, horse trading in the way of like, hey, we've got all mm. this, you know, in our tech stack right now, but I'm a big horse trader. Like I'm, you know, for sure down to put you in here attention and, and sub somebody else out and kind of go through that process. And, uh, you know, I kind of made like an, uh, I alluded to horse trading a little bit later on in the sales process, two calls later. Um, and he kind of had like a visceral reaction of like, Oh man, yeah, I am. A, I am a horse, right? So it's kind of a fun situation where uh, it shows the person that you're speaking to that you are there with them, uh, and and you're you're paying attention and you're not just spitting facts at them all the time. Yeah, I don't like it when people talk at me. I much prefer when people talk to me. And sometimes I feel like, especially if I'm checking out a new product and looking at something that might help us market better or might help us sell better. Uh, I'm always looking at those new technologies that might be a level up, a new thing for me to look at and help my process. But sometimes the salespeople are not talking to me anymore. They're talking at me. And at that point, my my defense goes way up and I'm usually looking for an out at that moment uh, when that happens. And then when you get that follow-up, it's usually like kind of a pain, right? You're like, uh, I think I'm just going to ignore this. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Lyle. That is what I did there. This one comes from Ignacio. Uh, I like this question. Many times our leads might not need to use our platform until three or four months down the road. What's your recommendation to have time-based promotions as follow-ups? For example, we have a 50% discount available until the end of the month, et cetera. Uh, Alex, I'll let you go with that one first, and then we'll pass that one to Connor, because I'd love both your insights on that one. Yeah, I personally am not the biggest fan of time-based incentives. I do think that you know, they can be effective in getting someone to pull the trigger, but there really has to be a need. It's not going to make or break a sale. Yeah. And if anything, it's often going to lead you to not getting as much value as you often could from a sale. That said, um, it is very effective in the more transactional sales that you're doing. That said, um, oftentimes what you're looking for is just a way to get them to pull the trigger. So essentially, saying like one question I'll ask as an alternative to we have, you know, throwing out a discount out there is what is it going to take? Is 
budget an issue at this point? And if it is, what's a, what's the threshold that this would need to be under for you to move forward with us, you know, today or by the end of the week? So in general, like there's off, there's a lot of best practices out there when it comes to time-based incentivizing um, prospects that said, the more, the larger the sale, the more value that you build. I don't think that it should be necessary, but if you are, you know, working on a monthly or quarterly quota, it can be effective as long as you're willing to, you know, give them that discount and take a little bit less from that overall value. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Connor, what are your thoughts on timing those types of offers with people that are currently in your pipeline or even on your forecast? Yeah. Um, I completely agree with Alex on, on this one, right? Like, I think the, the main goal here is to not devalue whatever you're selling, right? Um, in order to get to the point where you're even able to have these conversations, you have to know what their drivers are too, right? Uh, for instance, are they going to move forward with you over anyone else already, right? Like, have you guys agreed that this is the, the solution for them that you're yeah. the best fit? Um, if that's the case, turns out that the prospect uses a whole heck of a lot of leverage, right? If In terms of a time-based discount. Um, beyond that too, you have to figure out who you're competing against, right? There's other people in the space that you're competing against um, in, in terms of value and in pricing and all of that. Uh, it's really helpful to know where you stand. Yeah. So personally, I... I don't really like to do time-based discounts. That being said, though, it is vitally important to make sure that you're continuing that conversation with them uh, over the course of those three months or whatever that timeline was. Um, a really good question to be asking in those situations, maybe like, I don't know, 20, 30 days in, um, check it on their priorities because you should know those already, right? You'll get a feel for that at home. Um, you be like, hey, how have, uh, how have your priorities shifted in the last 30 days? Like, is this still the, the main issue that you guys are facing right now? Um, and you'll find out a whole lot about that because either the answer is yes, and you're like, cool, we're still the front runner, or maybe it's shifted and the whole landscape of your deal is now different. Um, regardless, helps you figure out how to not, you know, discount your uh, your your product or service too much. Yo, I agree, except I just want to point out there are a few phrases that you could probably avoid in all of your follow-ups. Touching in, checking base, and following up. If you just remove these phrases from everything you do post-demo, I think you'll see better results. Just that action alone. Shout out John Barrows. Yes. that's Remove them all. Stop using them. Uh, they're probably the most overused phrases. That and the word partnership. It means so many different things. Stop doing it. Synergy. I'll give you more. Stop doing it. Right? Don't do it. Yes. Uh, I'll repeat it again for you, Jasmine. Following up, touching base, checking in, the most overused phrases. Just remove them from all of your follow-ups. Go through, look all of your templates in your cadences and sequences and stop using them. Uh, Connor, one of the things that you said to me that really stood out, this is our last point. Uh, we are going to have a few more minutes. So if you have last minute questions, get them in the Q&A now so that we can answer them. You said it's really important that we develop a sidecar mentality while we are doing these follow-up steps. What's a sidecar mentality in your mind? How do you just how do you uh, position that against what people typically do? Yeah, I mean, I think so often in sales, we sales people can be really competitive, right? And, and that you kind of bring that vibe into your daily life. And other times, you can kind of feel like you're butting heads with your prospect. That's not at all what we want. I mean, there's gonna be times where you're gonna negotiate, and of course, that's part of the job. Uh, but what you really want to be doing here is working with the prospect to solve a problem that they have. Bar not. That's what our job is as salesman, 
right? I don't think anyone can really argue that. Um, what I mean by a sidecar mentality is like, be the Robin to their Batman. Let them be Batman. Do what you got to do, but pull up alongside them and guide them through the process of you helping them, right? So whether that means, you know, helping them implement this brand new piece of technology or service that's going to, you know, 5X their revenue, whatever it might be, right? Like you're not the one that goes internally to their company and pushes all the buttons and signs the contract and says, okay, this is going to happen now. You need to be able to empower your prospect to do that. So yeah. in terms of the language that you're utilizing, you know, I mean, yeah, don't call it a partnership, right? And don't talk about the synergy between you and them. But at that point though, what you can do is really make this a, a I love what Alex said before, like a we thing, not a me thing. Uh, part, partner without using the word partnership with that prospect and, and guide them along the way all the way through that sale. Yeah, I love we, not me. I think that, that should be a t-shirt, man. Just just go ahead and pump out those t-shirts and send me one. Uh, I've been asked to reshare the rule of three. There it is right there. And while you're taking a look at that, Sean, uh, I'm going to answer this question for Jetta uh, with Alex. It says, we often never get the chance to talk to other stakeholders on a call. What are the best strategies to help prepare your champion for their internal conversations? And then we'll sign off here. Yeah, I mean, the good questions to ask are the ones that essentially you want them to be able to imagine out loud to you, um, and if they're comfortable enough, what objections, what pushback they might receive internally. So essentially asking, uh, one thing I always ask, always, always, always is, what pushback can you, ex uh, what do you expect they might, X person, CFO, CPO might give when you bring this to their table? Um, and then when they tell you what that is, essentially, how would you respond to that? How would you react to that? And I won't tell them how to answer the question specifically, but I will give them pointers in terms of things that might resonate a bit more with that stakeholder once that question's asked. And essentially, I'm helping them sell internally and strategize over selling internally the entire time that we're talking. I know that as the salesperson, a lot of what you say is going to be regurgitated internally and they're going to use the language that you use. So essentially saying like, who is going to be in the discussion about this? When is it happening? Um, what issues might come up can be key in the, the difference between you winning a sale and not winning a sale. Because if you know you avoid any sort of confrontations that are bound to happen internally or externally, any deal could be killed. And that's a, I've heard a million stories about situations where Deals weren't closed. There were red flags that rose in the last few moments. And um, it, it, in a lot of situations, better champion building could have made that avoidable. I would agree. That's a great note to wrap it up on. We want to thank you guys for coming and sharing your wisdom today with our audience. Uh, you guys are all going to get a survey when this ends. Let us know how we did. Let us know what you want to see more of. Remember that you're the reason that we create this content. Connect with me personally at Say What Sales. I never met a stranger in my life. Go ahead and connect with us on social. Sellbetter.xyz is the new website. And I want to thank you all for giving us your time today. We appreciate you coming and learning with us and giving the support to our experts that come on in here and share the best insights in the world. Get out there and make things happen. We appreciate you guys. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you tomorrow for another show.